to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Psalm 86. We're going to start reading with verse 8, but let me tell you what happens in the first seven verses. The psalm writer is crying out to God. This is David. And he's talking about, God, I have need. I've got stuff going on in my life. I really need you to intervene. And he thanks God for his faithfulness, and he thanks God for the fact that he's a forgiving God because David didn't do everything perfectly. But he's crying out to God. And when we get to verse 8... We have expressions of praise and worship. And it's basically David expressing to God why he believes he can come to God with confidence. So let's pick it up right there. Psalm 86, starting in verse 8. He says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. A wonderful expression of worship and praise from the heart of David. And of all the examples and uh, descriptions of worship and praise we have in the Word of God, David is one of the most prominent because he was not only one of the greatest kings of God's people, but he was the one that wrote probably about two-thirds of the Psalms. He was a musician. He felt deeply. He felt passionately, probably about a lot of things. In fact, there's a couple of things he shouldn't have felt so passionately about. But he was very passionate about God and God's work in his life. And he expressed it through psalms, through songs, through uh, music. He played, he sang. And that's wonderful. And that's one of the reasons why musical expressions of praise and worship is so very important and such a significant aspect of our time of coming together and perhaps for you, even your alone time. You know, can I tell you that one of the best times to really praise and worship God through song is in the shower because that's when you're going to sound the best, even if you don't usually sound very good at other times. But I have to confess, and I've told this story before, but it's been a long time, that when I first became a Christian, I was about 10 years old, and I went through my teenage years There was one area of real frustration in my heart, in my life. An area where I had a real strong desire to please God, but I felt like I failed miserably. It wasn't some great sin. It was that I felt like I wasn't a very good worshiper. I would go to church, and during the, quote, praise and worship time of the service... Songs would be sung, beautiful music. There'd be expressions of praise, you know, interludes between the songs when people could lift their voices to praise God, just like we do here. And I got involved. I loved the songs. I loved the old hymns. I loved the contemporary, which were contemporary then, but now they're really old songs. I loved all that stuff. 
And I did all the stuff you're supposed to do. I tried to do what the Bible said. I would clap when that was appropriate. I'd raise my hands. You know, I'd close my eyes. I would sing. But most of the time, in the midst of that and afterwards, I would say, what effect did it really have on my life? I didn't really feel anything. And I would look around. That wasn't my purpose. But I would see other people. And I would see people that would have these looks on their faces like, oh, they are just so connecting with God. I would see people that would have tears streaming. I, I would see people who just, uh, just, just seemed to, to demonstrate just a real special experience with God. And, and I had those times every once in a while, but it was, but it was not very often. And I thought to myself, what is wrong with me? I'm trying to do all the right things. I'm trying to do what the Bible says. But I don't seem to be having the same experience other people have. Now, I'm not going to ask you to testify, raise your hand, confess, whatever. But do you find yourself at times in that same situation? Do you find yourselves in a time of praise and worship? And you're doing what you're supposed to do, but it just doesn't really seem to do anything for you? Do you ever feel like you're just going through the motions because you know you should worship God, but on the inside you just feel like nothing's going on? Do you ever feel like you're not a very good worshiper? And that's what I wrestled with for so long. But as I grew in the Lord and I grew in maturity and I began to study the Bible in more depth and I began to understand what worship truly is, and what its focus is supposed to be and how we're supposed to about, go about doing it, I realized I wasn't such a bad worshiper after all. And if you can kind of relate to my testimony of frustration, I hope that today and as we go through the rest of the month of January, because we're starting a brand new sermon series today called A Lifestyle of Worship. A Lifestyle of Worship. In fact, since this is the kickoff message, that's the name of the sermon too. A Lifestyle of Worship. You see, I had such a narrow view of worship as that which we do when we get together in a church service and we sing and people play instruments and maybe some vocal expressions and that's all I thought worship was and it's not. It is a very, very important part of worship. But to be honest with you, when you look at what the Bible says about worship, it's only a small part. There are so many other things that are involved in worship. And not only what worship is, but what it's supposed to do and what we're supposed to experience in it. You see, I was all focused on my experience of worship rather than God's experience of worship. Now you might say, that's kind of a weird way to put it, God's experience of worship. Well, how else should we word it if you want to be logical about it and biblical about it? If we're here to worship God, isn't it more important what he thinks about it than what we think about it? I'll tell you, some of those concepts just freed me. And we're going to look into some of those concepts this morning and as we go through the rest of the month. So anyway, I knew worship was important, but I was limited in my understanding of it. As I studied it some more, I realized that there's much more to it. So today, I wanted to lay some foundations for the rest of the sermons, the rest of this month. And uh, we're going to look at four principles of biblical worship that will hopefully get us on the right track so that we can not only experience great worship when we come together, but so we can experience a lifestyle of worship. 
Because that's what it should be. The first principle is this. Biblical worship involves much more than music. I've already alluded to that. Biblical worship, true worship, worship of the one true almighty God is much more than just the musical portion of a service or even just you singing a song or a hymn, as wonderful as that is and as as much as we should. As I said, if you can't sing very well, that's why the Bible says make a joyful noise to the Lord. You know, but like I said, man, you always sound better in the shower, so got one place you can sound good if you don't anywhere else. But biblical worship involves much more than music. Think about what the definition of worship is. If you just look up the definition of worship totally apart from God, worship means to show honor and devotion and respect to. We don't usually use the word worship to talk about people or things that we show honor, respect, and um, appreciation for. But there is a saying, maybe you've heard it, it's kind of been part of our culture for a long time. Have you ever heard that saying, he worships the ground she walks on? Or maybe it's just the other, she worships the ground he walks on. What is that trying to convey? It's trying to convey that the one person so honors and esteems, probably loves and appreciates the other person that it's just overwhelming. Doesn't mean literally they worship the ground, but showing that appreciation or at least having that appreciation. If we want to look at it spiritually, though, we we take that same principle and we apply it to our relationship with God. And what worship means is it is worthiness, respect, and reverence paid to God. Worthiness, respect, and reverence paid to God. Sounds good, sounds official, sounds spiritual, sounds accurate. But what does that mean practically speaking? A couple of years ago, I came up with, I can't remember if I found it, because it's just in my notes on worship, okay? Or if I made it up myself. But here's what I like to define worship in a practical sense. It's this, worship is recognizing God's worth or value and showing appreciation for it because of who he is and what he's done. Recognizing God's worth, recognizing God's value, and showing appreciation because of who he is, because he is God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the omnipotent, omnipresent, uh, all those omni words about God, okay? He is our God. And we have the privilege of having a relationship with him, totally apart from our relationship as God. He is deserving of worship. In fact, the Bible says every knee will bow. Everyone will worship God before the end, either willingly or unwillingly, not because they're going to be forced, but because people are going to come face to face with God and recognize who he is and they won't be able to help themselves. But not only because of who he is, but what he's done, what he's done for us primarily through sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we can have a relationship with him not only here and now that brings great blessings and helps us through the tough times but a relationship that will go into eternity in a place with him without all the sin, sorrow, sickness, death, and evil of this world. God is a good God. We have the privilege of having a relationship with him. So worship is recognizing that, showing appreciation because of who he is and what he's done. But that raises the question. So then what does that mean for worship? What then is worship? Think of it this way. If that's what worship is, how should we show respect, honor, and appreciation to God? 
in about any way we can think of, right? And when should we do that? Should we just limit it to, a, you know, a, a, an hour and a half, two hours service on Sunday morning? No. Should we limit it to that? And maybe if we take some time, I hope you take some time every day to spend some time with God and his word and in prayer. Should we limit our expressions and our, our appreciation and such and our expressions of that to God just to those little bits and times? No. Should we limit it to just what we say? No. You know, think of it this way. If you have a spouse or some other loved one that you truly do love, and if you have a spouse, I hope you truly do love them. How and when should you show that love? Only on your anniversary? Maybe once a week? Here and there? When you feel like it? Of course, if you really passionate. You may feel like it all the time. That's great. No, that should be something that permeates your life together. And can I say the same thing is true for worship? Worship, if we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, worship should permeate our life because God is always with us. And he's always there to help us. He's saved us. He's always at work in our lives. I don't mean that we're going to go through life and we're just constantly, you know, praying and raising our hands and expressing praise and worship. But we don't just limit it to a Sunday morning. We don't just limit it to that Sunday morning and maybe every once in a while during the week. It becomes something that is part of our lifestyle. And we see this all throughout Scripture. I want to read to you one passage from the Old Testament and one passage from the New Testament that kind of demonstrates that worship is so much more than just singing or even expressing words to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, God has delivered his people from Egypt out of slavery. They went to Mount Sinai, established a close relationship. God said, I delivered you. Now I relationship with me. Now, if you're going to have a relationship with me, here's how we're going to interact. And he laid out what is called the law. It sounds negative, but basically it's just the terms of, hey, I love you. I chose you a long time ago and I delivered you from slavery. I want to be your God because I want to bless you and make sure you experience a wonderful life. And so we can be in close relationship. And so this is the foundation upon which we're going to do that. And we, if you're familiar with this story, maybe you're not. The Israelites rebelled against God. They were very stubborn. And they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their stubbornness. But God never gave up on them. So they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And, and God tells Moses, listen, you know, all those people that I delivered from Egypt, they've all died. Now their kids are here. They're ready to serve me in the promised land. Lay it back out for them. So that's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. It's Moses sharing with this new generation all the things that have happened and, and letting them know how much God loves them and how he desires to have a close relationship with them, to bring them into a great place and to bless them. But here's the foundation of their relationship. And that's where we pick it up in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 13. God is speaking. He says, and now Israel, God's people, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding for you to do, which I'm commanding you today for your good. That sounds a little demanding. This is what I expect from you. Do this, 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 this. Fear, obey, respect, love, all those things. All valid. But if you were to read past that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10, God goes on to say, and the reason I'm asking this of you is because I love you. 
And because I chose you, and he goes all the way back to Abraham, I chose you and I delivered you. And I want to have a relationship with you. In the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, Paul writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's the singing part, right? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, he didn't say in some things you do, in the most important things you do, in the things you do every one. He says, and in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, you, you look at these, and, and these are just two representative passages, Old and New Testament, of what it means to worship God. And we see that it's so much more than singing songs. It's so much more than playing instruments. It's important and significant as those are. It's so much more than just letting great words come out of our mouth telling God how much we love and appreciate him. It affects every area of life. If we were to go through and look at the various passages that talk about worshiping God, Old and New Testament, we come up with a whole list of words that are associated with worship. Some of them have to do with attitudes. You find the attitudes of such as awe, fear, not necessarily shaking in my boots fear, although that should be there if we're not right with God and we've got sin in our lives, but that respect that we have for him words like honor and thankfulness and love attitudes that should be part of our relationship and of our expressions of worship we also find actions we have the word praise you know which means to express it in some way Uh, we have there to bow down we see that more in the old testament than the new but the idea is basically to show reverence by lowering yourself in the presence of someone in this case god who is so far above you you have descriptions of lifting hands, which is an act of surrender and approach. You, you have clapping, you know, which is very similar in our society. When somebody does a great job, you clap, right? To show, hey, we appreciate you. You did a great job. You know, we do that for God. You have words like dancing, singing, playing. These are all familiar with, but you also have words like obeying. If I truly appreciate God, then I'm going to do what he wants. We have words, love. You know, love is both an attitude and an action. You know, what did God say here? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He'd said that earlier in Deuteronomy. When somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important thing we need to do for God? What's the most important commandment? What did he say? He said, the first and most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that loving is an act of worship. Then we have another word that's very significant, and that is serve. Serve. All these things are associated with worship. So worship is much more than the music of a church service. In fact, what's really interesting, again, I, I, don't, I want to present a balance. The musical part of our praise and worship. And I will say with all my heart, it is significantly important. And one of the main reasons is because more than just about anything else, God can use that to stir our hearts, to open us up, to bring us to a place of surrender, and to give us um, a way of really expressing in a creative, beautiful way 
how we feel about God and what He's done for us. But if you really study Scripture, there's not a whole lot about the music, playing instruments, and singing having anything to do with worship until we get to David. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm not saying they didn't do it. But you read Genesis all the way up until David shows up on the scene. You don't hear a whole lot about people expressing worship to God through singing and, and, and playing instruments and all that kind of stuff. But then you get David who comes, who was not only a great king, as I said, but a phenomenal musician who felt passionately. And all of a sudden, the aspect of praise and worship through singing and playing just blows up. You know? And um, there is some of it before then. You, know, you got Miriam leading people in song after the, you know, going through the Red Sea and some other things like that. But you see that David institutes singing and playing instruments and dancing as an official part of the worship of God. And when I say he institutes, I believe it's under the leadership of God. This is a godly thing. I'm not against that, okay? And then especially when the temple was built under his son Solomon. It was carried forward, and from that time on in history, singing and uh, instrument playing and all that kind of stuff was a significant part of praise and worship of the Almighty God. Then you get to the New Testament, and it's definitely there. The passage I just read in Colossians, it says, sing, you know, songs and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Make melody in your heart and out loud too, you know. It's there. But other than a few passages like that, and some significantly important ones in Revelation where you see that the people are around the throne of God worshiping him, and part of that involves music, so that shows us how important it is. But there's not a whole lot about that aspect. Again, I don't think it's because that's not important. I think it's because it's not necessarily the most important, and it's certainly not the full extent of what praise and worship is all about. But there is something special about music and singing and its effect on our life. So when we're talking about worship, it's not primarily, and it's so much more than just the music aspect of our relationship with God and our coming together. Worship is all that we do, everything that we do, and everything that we can do, and everything that we should do to show respect, honor, and appreciation to God. And we're going to be looking at that over the next several weeks. We've got four more Sundays in this month. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Can I tell you, anytime you do something for the glory of God, you're worshiping Him. You're praising Him. He says, even in your eating and drinking. Now, in that context, he's talking about there was a discussion in early church about what they could eat and couldn't eat, especially if the, if the food they had had originally been a sacrifice offered to an idol. Is that right or wrong or whatever? And we're not going to dig into that. But basically, he says that what you do about that is between you and God. But whether you choose to eat this type of food in this situation, or you choose not to, whatever you're doing, make sure that it's for the glory of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That verse in his context is where Paul is talking about the relationship between masters and slaves. And we're not going to get into that. God and Paul did not give their approval to slavery. We've dealt with that in the past or whatever. He's just saying that's a situation in your culture. But if you are a slave, if you are a servant, you need to do what you're supposed to do, not only to protect your life and keep from being disciplined and punished, but not only that, you do the best job you can. And it doesn't matter whether your master is a good one or not, because whatever you do in your life, you're doing it for God, not just your master. Now, today, we can apply that to work, 
We can apply that to school. And if you take the principle there, basically what Paul is saying is whatever you do when you go to school, young people, and you're, you're applying yourself to learn and grow, to prepare for the future and what God wants to use you to do in your life, do the best you can, not just to get good grades, not just to please your teacher, not just to get your parents off your back. Do it for God. Do your best. When you're in that workplace, if you've got a great boss, praise the Lord. If you've got a slave driver... We'll pray with you. But he says, do what you're given to do to the best of your ability, not just because you're trying to stay out of trouble. Not just so you can please your boss and maybe advance further in your career. But do it the best you can because ultimately, whatever you're doing as a believer, you're doing it for God. And all those things become acts of worship. So I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but you may struggle. Maybe you don't sing well. Maybe you've never played an instrument. Maybe you try. Maybe you don't experience certain things when you sing in a service. But you know what? If you're a hard worker, if you're going through your life and you're saying, God, I want everything that I do to bring glory and honor to you, and you're doing the best you can for God's glory and honor, you're a phenomenal worshiper. That's the thing that set me free. That it wasn't just about whether I could sing well and whether I experienced certain things when I sang and the praise and worship part of the service. But if I'm really trying to live for Jesus and I'm doing it for him, not just for what I can get out of it, I'm a good worshiper. And that pleases God and it honors God. That's why we talk about a lifestyle of worship. How is it that as we go through life every day, all week long, how is it that everything we do, is it just for us or is it for God? Does the way we do it and the motivation behind it bring glory and honor to God? That's an act of worship. That's how we have a lifestyle of worship. So there's a couple of thoughts we're going to examine in detail in the coming messages. Next week, I'm going to come back and talk about how surrender is worship. Surrender is worship. In fact, I would say to you that surrender of ourselves and our lives to him is the most basic and the most important aspect of worship. And if we don't do that, whatever else we do really doesn't have much significance. We see that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when Paul writes and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and that includes the sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some translations translate that, which is your spiritual act of service, in the Bible, service and worship, they're almost exactly the same thing. Paul says, listen, the best thing you can do to worship God is just surrender yourself to him. We'll talk about that next week. The following week, the way things are lined up right now, things could change, but the following week, Pastor Nate's gonna come and preach to us. And he's gonna talk to us about how adoration is worship. Adoration, praise, those expressions, those verbal, those musical. He's certainly a good guy to be qualified to speak about that, don't you think? I know he's going to do a great job. And we see that in Scripture. That, again, I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm just trying to help us understand that's not all there is to it. It's significant. You know, David said in the Psalms to praise God over and over and over again. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 15, Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I love to define praise this way. Praise is telling God how good he is and thanking him for what he's done. 
Really, that's what comes down to it. When we're talking about expression, if it's just our words, if it's just our prayers, if it's singing, whatever, you know, and this is something we talk about in staff meeting. When we talk about our worship and we want to introduce a new song and, you know, how songs should affect us and how we should sing them, it should always be about how God, how good or wonderful God is and what he's done for us and an appreciation for that. Talking about God or talking to God, telling him or expressing to others what a wonderful God we serve because it's all about God. There's a song by Matt Rabin called The Heart of Worship. And it's all about, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you, God. It's all about you. So Pastor Nate's going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. And then I'm going to come back and talk about how service is worship. Service is worship. There are several words translated worship in the Old Testament and New Testament that literally mean service. It's the idea that, you know, as a servant does what their master wants them to do. If we really love God and are committed to him and surrender to him, we'll do what we want him to do, what he wants us to do. We will serve him. The passage I read earlier in Deuteronomy 10, it says, what does the Lord your God require of you but to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? So these words that are used in the Old New Testament for worship and service, they're used interchangeably. Worship and service, worship and service, worship and service. They're the same thing as far as the eyes of God's people and the way he expressed himself in his word. That's why we call this a worship service. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, think about it. Why would you call a time when people gather together a worship service? What does service have to do with us gathering together? When we understand that service is an aspect of worship, it makes it very clear. We're here in all that we do, and there's a number of functions, not just to worship God, but be encouraged and challenged and grow together and, you know, help each other. But we're here to to do what God wants. We're here to worship Him. We're here to serve Him. Everything we do in some way should serve God by carrying out His plans for us and what He's asked us to do. We can do that. I'm going to spend a week talking about how our serving God in the church, in ministry, but not only in the church, but like I talked about a few moments ago, out there in the world, in the school, in the workplace, in the community, how that can be an act of worship. And then the last, uh, uh, another message, actually I think it's going to be the last one, but somewhere in there, maybe it's the last one, I don't know, Pastor Jan is going to bring us a message too on how giving is worship. How giving is worship. Psalm 96, 8 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. And that's not just talking about financial giving, although it includes that. It means taking all the resources God has given us to worship him, to glorify him, to accomplish his purposes in the world, and that giving of those things, time, treasures, talents, that that giving is an act of worship. So I think you can see Biblical worship is so much more than music, so much more than singing, so much more than playing instruments. It involves our whole lifestyle. Now you say, you had four principles. That was a long one. That was the longest one. The second principle is this. Biblical worship is focused on God, not me. Biblical worship is focused on God, not me. Psalm 29.2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in his splendor of holiness. I'm going to use this as an illustration, a worship service. Have you ever gone home? Maybe you'll do it today. I bet you'll think a little bit more differently about it if you do. 
Have you ever gone home from a worship service and, and you said, oh man, you know, that was a pretty good worship service. Or, ah, that really wasn't such a good worship service. You know, I didn't really get into it. I didn't really get much of anything out of it. But let me ask you a question. What standard are we using about whether a worship service is good or not? How it affects us? Or how it pleases God? If it's truly a worship service, it's all about pleasing God and honoring God. And whether or not you liked it or got something out of it or not, which is important things, what's most important is what God thought about it. You know, we wrestle this in so many little ways. Well, I don't care for that song. I like this song. I like the hymns. I like the contemporary. I like both, but not all of them. Blah, 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 blah. And that's all good. We all have our preferences and our tastes, and we try to be very eclectic and, and, and a good mix of everything, not because we're trying to please everybody, but because we want everybody to be able to enter in in some way or, or shape or form to make it easier for them to enter into worship God. But ultimately, it's not about how you feel about it. It's not how I feel about it. It's did what happened there please God, honor God, and promote and carry out his purposes. You know, I was meditating on this this morning, and I thought, I did this last night. My wife and I went home, and we were talking about our New Year's Eve celebration. You know, we didn't know what to expect. New Year's Eve's on a Saturday night. We're going till midnight. We got church Sunday morning. We got people that may not come because it's so late, and they got to come to church the next morning, or they don't want to be out that late. We had no idea how many people were going to show up, and we were so excited. Seventy-something people had a great time together, and we went home and said, man, we had a great New Year's Eve celebration. It's true. You know, I felt really good about it. I really enjoyed it. The people that shared testimonies did a wonderful job. The worship was great. I, I, and that's significant. But is that what's most important? It's what, what did God feel about it? And so I was examining my heart and my mind. And I was examining that last night all over again this morning. Lord, what did you think about last night? But I'm pleased to report to you. Not that God spoke to me specifically. But I went through everything that we said and did last night, the worship, the words of encouragement from our elders and our staff, the time we had testimony with each other, our fellowship together, and I saw that God was glorified. I saw that everything that was said pointed to God and his goodness and his faithfulness. So I'm not going to speak for God in the sense that God told me, but I have a feeling that God was pleased with last night. So even though I enjoyed it, not the most important thing, I think God enjoyed it too. So I think it was a great time of worship. I wrestle with this as a pastor. Every time I get up to preach and teach, I want to do my best, you know, but I have to wrestle with, you know, am I doing my best for God or am I doing my best for me because I want people to think good of me. And when I get done preaching or teaching, you know, I always go back in my mind and, and, you know, sometimes I feel really good about it. You know, I feel really good about that message. I feel really good about that Bible study. There's times like, oh man, that was terrible. You know, I hope everybody else got more out of it than I did, you know, I, that kind of thing. And that has its value because I want to do the best I can. But the most important thing is that, was it pleasing to God? Did I say what he wanted me to say? Was I true to his word? Did I get that word out there? And the other thing I wrestle with is, you know, did it really affect anybody's life? And it may seem to be no evidence or whatever. But, you know, it doesn't really matter because if I'm doing what God calls me to do, to the best of my ability, trying to say what he wants me to say. No matter what response I might see out there or have expressed to me or feel inside, if I've been obedient to God, 
God's honored. God's glory. And worship has taken place. That's true for any of us that are involved in ministry. We want to feel good about it. We want to feel appreciated ourselves. We want to feel like it had a different, it made a difference. But can I tell you that whatever area of life that you are involved in, no matter how you may feel about it, in general or in a specific situation, a specific service, a specific class, a specific encounter, if you have done your best to do what God called you to do in that situation, for the glory of God, God is pleased. No matter how you feel about it. You're a good worshiper. You're a good worshiper. But if biblical worship is focused on God, then worship is about pleasing God, not pleasing myself. Worship is about pleasing God and not pleasing myself. And I just want to challenge you. When you come to a church, when you go to a service, you're involved in a Bible study or whatever, and you may leave going and say, I don't know that I really got that much out of it. I mean, that's sad that you should. You should. I mean, that's the goal. You know, when we gather together, it's not just to worship God so we can encourage and challenge one another. But don't just stop there and say, but what do you think, what, what do I think God got out of it? Do you think he was, do I think he was pleased? Because maybe it just wasn't for me that time. But if God was honored, that's what's most important. Not only is worship about pleasing God, not pleasing myself, it means that worship is about giving and not receiving. Worship is about giving, not receiving. Heard a story one time about a Sunday school teacher that was teaching her little class, her class of, uh, of children, and was talking about how Solomon built the temple, you know, where God's presence was going to dwell, and they would worship him. And it says, on the day the temple was dedicated, the glory of God came down and God's presence filled the temple. And there was this one little girl, her eyes got so big, and she got so excited and the teacher thought, it, it, it got through to her. Here's one girl anyway that I, that I had an impact. And the little girl says, were there enough presents for everybody? You know, because God's presence filled the temple. We laugh. But don't we find ourselves falling into that same trap? Evaluating experiences based on what we get rather than how it might have glorified God. It's about giving, not receiving. What have you received from God this morning? I hope that in the context of being here, and we're going to be out of here in the next 15, 20 minutes, but I hope you've really received a lot today in every aspect of the service. But even more important, what have you given to God this morning? What have you given to God this morning? Now, in a context like this, when I'm preaching, you're receiving, and that's the way it should be. That's what God wants us to do. But when is it that we most give to God? Well, it is in our attitudes as we're listening, if we have an openness and a willingness to say, God, speak to me, I want to hear, I want to respond. But one of the most prominent ways, the most obvious ways that we give to God in a worship is, is during the praise and worship time. So I just want to take this moment, Pastor Nate, I'm sure we'll preach on it some in two weeks, to encourage you that when you come to this place and there is a time of praise and worship, most often incorporating singing and playing, whether you can sing well or not, I want to encourage you to give it everything you've got. And not just for the songs you like the best. Even if there's a song you don't like, you don't even know it yet because it's too new. We've only sang it 14 times and you need 16 to learn it. Some people do, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You can see the words up there, and you can express them to God and say, God, it says you're an awesome God. God, you're an all-powerful God. 
And I express, and whether I can sing the song or not, because I don't know it yet, I'm going to learn it. But God, I'm going to express that to you. And I want to encourage you to come ready to worship God in that praise and worship. And can I just lovingly say, and I say this with all the love in my heart, there are things that slow each and every one of us down in different circumstances, but you can only do that if you are here. <laughs> anyway, I'm not being judgmental or condemning. You get here as quick as you can on Sunday mornings, ready to praise and worship God. Can I tell you, it's, it's phenomenal when that happens, amen? And can I tell you that when you praise and worship God all week long, it's a whole lot better on Sundays too. Amen. Amen. So worship, worship, uh, worship about pleasing God, not pleasing myself. It's about giving, not receiving. But the good news is that worship will benefit me, and it's supposed to. It is supposed to have an effect on us. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Our primary purpose is to worship and glorify God. Let us know how much we appreciate Him. What a wonderful God He is. But in the process, we will be built up. We will be encouraged. We will have our faith strengthened if it does like it should. I once heard a quote from that great theologian, Teddy Roosevelt. Those of you that are laughing say, I don't think he was a theologian. No, I don't even know if he's a good man. I, he was a president, in case you're wondering. I've heard that name before. Where, who is he? President from a long time ago. But he is, a, he is attributed with saying this, even though the preacher can't preach for sour apples, and the choir is more than a half a note off key, you can always get something out of worship if you'll put yourself into it. So is my worship focused on God or on my experience? Two more very quickly. Third one. Biblical worship is not just what I do, but why I do it. See, we can do all these things, but if we're not doing it for the right reason, in God's eyes, it doesn't have a lot of value. Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders of the day, the ones who did their best to keep God's law and to do everything right. And he said this in Matthew 15, 7 to 9. He says, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. He says they're trying so hard and they're pushing it on other people, but their hearts aren't right. The first thing is to make sure our heart that is right, make sure our heart is right, because if we do all the other stuff perfectly and our heart's not right, it doesn't really honor and please God. The last one. Biblical worship can only be offered to the one true God. You might say, oh, that's so obvious. Of course, we want to worship God. But can I tell you that this has been a struggle for God's people for a millennium? Going all the way back into the Old Testament when God delivered his people from Egypt. And you look at their history, and they were constantly being tempted and unfortunately giving in to the temptation to worship the gods of the nations around them. They had this phenomenal, wonderful, awesome, almighty God who loved them so much, he chose them as his people. He delivered them from slavery. He brought them into the promised land. He wanted to bless them. And they decided many times throughout their history to just go off and worship other gods. All through the Old Testament, God would speak through the prophets. Come back to me. Come back to me. Choose who you're going to serve. Choose who you're going to worship. Come to me. And it'd be so easy for us to say, well, you know what? We don't worship other nations' gods. 
We don't bow down to idols. You know, we see idols in the Old Testament. We think of idols as little statues. We don't bow down to statues. But can I tell you that in our culture, the same false gods are there that were there millennium ago. Because if you go in and you study, and I'm not going to dig deeply into it, but you study into all these false gods they worship, Baal, Astarte, um, Isis, if you get into some of the other, if you get into all these things, you know what these gods and goddesses represented? They represented prosperity. They represented success. They represented pleasure. They even had gods and goddesses that represented sex, and that was a part of worship. Don't we find our society and sometimes even ourselves drawn to give priority to those things? Because you see, anytime we give something more priority than God, we're worshiping an idol. We may not do it before a little stone statue. Pleasure, power, success, sex, prosperity, things. And if you really look at it, it's ultimately ourselves. You see, you can be worshiping God, you can be worshiping yourself. Can I tell you, you can go through the motions of worshiping God and actually you're worshiping yourself. If you do what you do because you want to look good, you want to show yourself off, you can sing phenomenal. You know, I can talk about Sister Pat. She did a great job leading us in worship and singing a special song for us this morning because I know her heart. But if she'd have gone up here to, to sing this morning because she wanted everybody to see her and see her special dress here at the beginning of the year, she wants everybody focused on her and she wants them to think she does a great job. All those things might have happened, but it wouldn't have been really pleasing to God. But I know Sister Pat's heart and I hope I didn't embarrass her too much. That wasn't Sister Pat that said amen, by the way. (laughs) It was her best friend, but anyway. I know Sister Pat's heart. She wanted to do it to bless God's people and to honor and worship God. Yeah. So she wasn't worshiping herself. She was worshiping God, but we got to be careful to do the same things. You know, God used Joshua to lead God's people into the promised land and to conquer it, and they're getting ready to settle down. Joshua's at the end of his life. And he says something that you've heard before, but Joshua 24, verses 14 to 15. He's calling the people to settle in and live for God. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. Beyond the river means all the way back in the days of Abraham. They lived way in the east. They served all kinds. Abraham was an idol-worshiping pagan, and God called him to follow him, and he did. He says, Our ancestors served and worshiped lots and lots of different gods. And he said, when we were in Egypt, it was tempting to worship the gods there. They conquered us. He says, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil, the idea there being, if it doesn't seem good to you, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the lands you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to challenge you today. You may have made this decision before a long time ago. You may have recommitted yourself to it over and over and over again. But as we're entering this new year, I want to encourage you to make that same decision. You know what? Here at this beginning of the year, I'm committing myself to serve God this year. Knowing that serving God is an act of worship. We've done an overview. We're going to dig more deeply into it the rest of the month. But I want my life to be an act of worship. I want to live a lifestyle of worship. As we close, a reminder again, what does that mean? Worship is recognizing God's worth or value and showing appreciation for it because of who he is and what he has done. 
I challenge you to meditate. How can I bring that into my everyday life? So who are you going to worship this year? The answer is, oh, I'm going to worship God. I challenge you to examine your heart. Make sure you truly are. You're not just worshiping yourself in a godly way, but you want to worship God. Not just praise during a service, but to serve and seek to please God in every area of your life. Not just when you're with God's people, but when you're at home. Not when you're just at home, but when you're out there in the world, at school and at work and in your community. I want my life to bring glory and honor to God. Let's all stand together. And here's how we're going to spend the next couple of minutes. As we often do, I'm going to invite the elders, my wife, Pastor Jan, to come down here. And as we start this new year, if you're starting this year and there's some things in your life that aren't so good, you really would like somebody to pray with you about it. Or maybe somebody you love, a friend or family member, you'd like somebody to pray with you about a situation. During this time, as we sing this song, please come. We would love to pray with you. It's not been the primary message today, although it's at the root of it, about how to have a relationship with God. But if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God because you've not surrendered your life to Christ and to put your trust in Him for this forgiveness of your sins, we'd love to pray with you about that too. But our worship team is going to lead us in some songs that have to do with surrender, that have to do with God. I want to give everything to you and I want you to be glorified in and through my life. And so I challenge you today, if that's your heart, that's the way I want to live this year. That you enter into worship, that you sing that, that you say that, that you pray that. But let's do that. You want prayer? Come. Otherwise, respond to what God has spoken today. Withholding nothing. Our attitudes. Withholding nothing. Give them to God. Withholding nothing. We give it to you, God. Withholding Help us, Lord, nothing. not to hold unforgiveness in our hearts. Help us to let go of bitterness, oh God. Help us to let go of our pride. Help us to let go of anything that would hold us back from being the men and women and young people of God you've called us to be. Oh, Jesus. God, I believe you want to move mightily in this church, in this community, and in this nation and around the world in 2023. And God, as we surrender ourselves to you, withholding nothing, God, you will use us. You will move in and through us, oh God, to touch the hurting around us. As they see us walking in love, walking in forgiveness. Hallelujah. May we not withhold anything from you, but give it all to you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www. 
marionoaksag.org.